This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Today on Inside Politics, a cold campaign reality. Blizzard conditions in Iowa mean chaos for the Republican candidates trying to reach every voter they can. The crucial question, how much will this dangerous weather impact turnout on caucus night? Plus, firing back. President Biden orders airstrikes against Iran-backed rebels who've been firing at commercial ships, fueling fears that the Middle East could be on the edge of an all-out war. And I don't hate her. That's the faint praise some Iowa Republicans are giving Nikki Haley. We're going to hear what some voters are really thinking in a brand new focus group. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start in Iowa, which is under a blizzard warning today. It is freezing there. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, duh. It's January. Obviously, it's cold in Iowa, but this is different. It is brutally cold, historically cold, so cold that Iowans are being told not to even take a step outside, and it's going to get worse. Monday looks likely to be the coldest caucus night on record. We're talking about wind chills as low as negative 30 degrees. CNN's Jeff Zeleny is sort of indoor-outdoor. We can see the outside, but you're you know, you've got a little bit of the heat from the out, from the inside. I just want our viewers to not be super concerned about you. Tell us what you're seeing there, not only with the weather, but with the campaign. Well, Dana, we are bundled up. No worries here about that. But uh, the the weather is political here. And this is why it is one of the central worries and concerns of the campaign going forward at this point. It's what they're preparing for. It's what they're thinking about. And it's what they're worrying about. And the, the candidates have mainly had to uh, cancel most of their events today. So the campaign is essentially frozen in place. And this is why this matters. Not that voters necessarily need to hear uh, one more stump speech or even the closing arguments. But these events are about organization. When you walk into a campaign event, you are met by a campaign staffer or a volunteer who is making sure they have your information so they can remind you on Monday to come out to the caucus. So it's all about organization as we talk about so much. But, uh, you know, there certainly has been so much spending here in Iowa. Nikki Haley and her super PAC are now leading the charge in terms of spending. So perhaps it's a good day to watch some of those television commercials for Iowans who are trapped inside. But Ron DeSantis did make it out to one event this morning, and he talked about the importance of Monday night. I'll ask you for your support on Monday. I know it's going to be cold. Uh, I know it's going to be um, um, not the most pleasant, but I don't think you'll ever be able to cast a vote that has more impact given the circumstances. We don't know what the turnout's going to be. It could be much smaller than what it's been in, you know, in the 16th cycle. That's possible. 
So if you're going out and you're bringing four or five different friends with you or family members, uh, that is going to pack a punch in a way that voting in a general election uh, just simply would not at that level. And Nikki Haley is talking to her supporters on the telephone, doing uh, teletown halls. Again, that is also about organization. People who sign up to call in, uh, the campaign is keeping track of them. And again, they can remind them to vote on Monday night. So again, the reason this matters is turnout. As Governor DeSantis was just saying there, um, for weeks and months, Republican officials here were telling me they expected a record-setting mm -hmm. turnout more than uh, in 2016. Now that's very much an open question with the cold weather. We're talking older voters certainly have a concern getting to the polls. But look, the campaign is going on into the weekend. Former President Donald Trump is, uh, is coming into Iowa this weekend to campaign tomorrow. All the other candidates are hoping to get back on the road. But the weather is politics now, and it's one of the central things hanging over this campaign. Dana. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'll see you there tomorrow, I hope. <laughs> uh, because Jeff said uh, the weather is politics and this is anti-politics, let's go to the CNN weather anchor and correspondent. Uh, Elisa Rafa is tracking all of it. Uh, what do we see when it comes to what to expect, not just today, but this weekend, and most importantly, on Monday on caucus day? Uh, yeah, we're looking at temperatures not breaking zero degrees on caucus day. Today, we have blizzard conditions out there. You know, there were a couple events scheduled for today not happening. Look at the orange warning there. You've got four to eight inches of snow plus 45 mile per hour gusts that's blowing around snow, dropping visibility, making things very dangerous. You can see there on the radar right now where we have some heavy snow in Des Moines. That wind chill right now is four degrees, relatively warm compared to where we're going. You've got those wind chills already at 20 degrees below zero in northwest Iowa. That's because we have Arctic air that's going to spill into the upper Midwest, and that's going to really take these wind chills to dangerous levels. We're talking wind chills as cold as minus 45 going into Monday. You can get frostbite in 10 minutes or less with conditions like that. We're talking life-threatening, dangerous, and near record cold uh, wind chills. Again, continuing to stay very chilly. Here's a look at the past caucus temperatures. 30s, 40s. Uh, 2004, we hit 16 degrees. But as we go and look ahead towards Monday, we're looking at that high temperature, making it to minus four, minus four, the highest temperature of the day. So any events in the morning will be well, well below zero. Again, factoring the wind chill much colder than that. These are forecast high temperatures across the state of Iowa on Monday. Temperatures again, five to 10 degrees below zero as we go through Monday. Factor in the wind chill. Look at this. You're looking at these wind chill values at 30 to 40 degrees below zero. So incredibly cold. Looking at wind chills happening or frostbite happening in minutes, minutes, minutes. So very dangerous. You're really making me want to get right on that plane there, Lisa. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And joining me now with the cold, hard truth. I'm sorry. We just had to. Our excellent reporters, Zolan Cano-Youngs of The New York Times, CNN's MJ Lee, and Alex Burns from Politico, who we lovingly call Mr. MJ Lee right around here at CNN. <laughs> um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, let's just look, because we do have to just do one more beat on the weather, or a couple. Give it context, because I made a joke like, OK, it's cold in Iowa in January. Like, of course it is. But it really is on caucus night going to be much colder than we have seen ever. I mean, look at that. And again, negative four, that's going to be the high 
in Iowa. I mean, we've we've been in Iowa when it's cold. I was just in Iowa when it's cold. It's hard to imagine how this is not going to impact turnout. I feel like I thought I knew cold weather being from <laughs> Massachusetts, but but this is, I mean, frigid. And, you know, for weeks, candidates have, have gone to Iowa really to build this enthusiasm for this moment, for this moment to try and encourage turnout here. Um, you know, even DeSantis and Nikki Haley uh, th over the past week, you know, doing that as well. But with this weather, I thought um, also uh, Zelny made a good point about particularly with senior citizens as well sure. and those that may have other health conditions. I mean, this this could be dangerous. So we do need to kind of see and assess here and really look at how this will impact turnout and enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, I know that I wouldn't step outside in those temperatures, <laughs> but obviously Iowans are sort of built a little bit differently. I mean, there are different ways that this could end up panning out. I mean, is it just lower turnout across the board and sort of every candidate feels the effects? Or, you know, is there a scenario where the candidate with the most passionate voters, i.e. the Iowans who are like really willing to get in the car, even though there's like 10 feet of snow in front of them, uh, do they end up having some kind of advantage? I mean, I do think it's interesting. We've hearing a little bit of concern from the Trump campaign uh, preemptively that they're a little worried that the the idea that their supporters, because they think he has it sort of locked uh -huh. down, maybe they sort of, you know, predict that other people are going to show up and they won't have to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's an concerned. interesting point. The way that that some of them, at least one campaign campaign advisor is spinning it is the weather issue may take away the intensity. It's a bigger problem for ev everyone else than us. What they're suggesting, this particular advisor, is that if they drop three or four points, that's like, you know, dropping from a very high lead to another very high lead. And others don't have that luxury. Nikki Haley, I literally can't comprehend it. It's going to be negative 15, but I'm going to be out there and I want you to go out there. DeSantis, we look forward to forcing our opponents to try to match our campaign pace when it hurts to breathe outside. That's uh, David Pol Polanski, who's a longtime Iowan. And the Ramaswamy tsunami is not going to be deterred by the cold weather, and that's Vivek Ramaswamy himself. Look, I think this is, in addition to being a, a test for all the candidates and their supporters, I think it's a test for Iowa as a state and the Iowa caucus as an institution. The whole mythology mm. of this ritual, which is quite un, an unusual political practice, is, as MJ said, that they're just built a little bit differently there. They take this so seriously. They're so committed to the process. Going out in that kind of weather requires commitment. If you see turnout plummet relative to previous years, you know, I think the notion that Iowans are a sort of special breed that deserve a special pl place in the process, maybe we should revisit that assumption. Well, let's look at what the uh, two candidates who have been there most aggressively and who are sort of, besides Trump, uh, pretty high in the polls comparatively. Uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have been saying on the campaign trail before, to borrow Jeff Zeleny's term, it was frozen in place. Monday matters. Your voice matters. I trust you. I trust you because I know America gets this. The political pundits on TV want to write this story already and act like November 2024 is already here. They don't know. But you do. And we'll find out on Monday. He has not gone all 99 counties, doesn't like to interact with the voters, thinks if they just spend, 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 then somehow that's going to do the trick. You know, that's not the way it works. I would rather be the underdog. I think I run very well uh, as the guy that's working harder than everybody, as the guy that's uh, 
uh, that's shaking the hands, that, that's answering the questions, and I'm showing up. I love the guy who got so criticized for not interacting with any, anyone is now hitting her for not interacting, which she does. Uh, I mean, they all are. They have to. I also think it's interesting that we're now at a point where DeSantis is framing himself as an underdog in, yeah, the, in this, that's in this the race. Most interesting you know, he, well, it wasn't that long ago that many thought that DeSantis would be the top contender against Trump and now framing himself as an underdog here. Um, he has tried to continue with this theme of, look, I am advocating for sort of uh, uh, Trumpism, Trump's policies, but I'm the better person to actually execute it. Um, I don't know if... Uh, saying that, you know, you are the best person to execute Trumpism as an effective strategy when you are not the original person doing that. He has also tried to criticize Nikki Haley for some of her donors as well, whereas Haley has come in a bit more of an uh, establishment sort of Republican at this point. Um, but we're going to have to see, you know, which of those strategies really does uh, galvanize, you know, residents there. You, you mentioned uh, the, the notion that he is trying to be Trump, maybe Trump light. That's mm. what Nikki Haley is accusing him of. Her super PAC got the message and they put this ad, ad out. Build the wall. Big league. So good. Make America great again. Who's your daddy if you couldn't figure out what the crowds were saying there. I, I mean, I, I think the fact that Trump has been such an oversized uh, figure and issue in the race has in some ways prevented these candidates, uh, even this late uh, in the campaign cycle, from really like getting out to voters, like painting a clear picture of this is what I am about and this is what my candidacy of, is about in the way that we saw like Chris Christie be the uh, anti-Trump guy. I think we saw that really vividly at the CNN town hall that you moderated, uh, where at the end of it, if some voter who hasn't been really tuned in but watched that debate, uh, did they come away with it with a very clear picture of what Nikki Haley's candidacy is about? Or did they come away with it thinking, okay, she was the candidate who was talking about the DeSantisLies.com website over and over again? Um, the thing that I uh, find fascinating about that Super PAC ad is that there's, look, there's no way anybody in this race beats Trump unless ultimately all the voters who have reservations about Trump uh, coalesce behind them. That is an ad that humiliates Ron DeSantis, mm -hmm. right? That is not an ad that says, mm -hmm. I'm confident in my position and I need to sort of unite the clans in this race uh, uh, against the overwhelming front runner. That's, I am going to crush this guy. That's such an interesting point. Okay, everybody stand by. Just into CNN, the Oregon Supreme Court says it will not remove Donald Trump from that state's Republican primary ballot based on the 14th Amendment's insurrection ban for now. The Oregon court did not rule out the merits of the challenge. Instead, they said they're going to wait to hear from the Supreme Court. Colorado and Maine, of course, kicked Trump off their ballots because of his role in the January 6th insurrection. The Supreme Court will hear oral arguments on the Colorado case February 8th. And up next, fears of a new proxy war between the U.S. and Iran after President Biden ordered strikes on a Yemeni rebel group backed by Tehran. What it means and what's next that's coming up. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Massive protests today in Yemen's largest city. That city, Sana'a, is under control of Houthi rebels. They are threatening retaliation after a massive series of U.S. and U.K.-led strikes on military targets in the country, which itself was a response to dozens of Houthi attacks on international shipping vessels. In a statement, a Houthi spokesman said that the U.S. and U.K. will have to prepare to pay a heavy price and bear dire consequences for what they call blatant aggression. Oren Lieberman is live for us at the Pentagon with more details. Oren, what do we know about these strikes? Well, Dana, we've seen a lot of bluster from the Houthis, but there is the sense here that this goes far beyond rhetoric and that the Houthis will find some way to respond to what we saw from the U.S., the U.K., backed by several other countries. These were sweeping strikes across 16 different Houthi sites in Yemen, totaling more than 60 targets. According to U.S. officials, more than 100 precision-guided munitions were used as part of these strikes, the U.S. trying to go after the Houthis' ability to attack international shipping lanes in the Red Sea. You see that there, one of the world's most critical waterways. We have seen the U.S., according to Central Command, uh, we have seen the Houthis, I should say, carry out 27 attacks on international shipping, which has forced vessels to avoid the Bab el-Mandab Strait right there. The U.S. trying to make that safe. First, there was the defensive coalition to try to safeguard the waterways. This, after repeated warnings to the Houthis, is the strike to try to degrade their ability to target international shipping. Shortly after the strikes, President Joe Biden released a statement explaining the rationale behind these. He said... These targeted strikes, in explaining the statements here, are a clear message that the United States and our partners will not tolerate attacks on our personnel or allow hostile actors to imperil freedom of navigation in one of the world's most critical commercial routes. The question, of course, at this point, Dana, how do the Houthis respond, and is this enough, or will the U.S., the U.K., and others feel compelled to act again? Lots of questions there left. Uh, thank you so much, Oren, for that reporting. Let's talk about this more with CNN's Jim Shudo, CNN's national security correspondent, and Dan Lamoth, national security reporter for The Washington Post. Nice to see you all. Jim, put this in context for us. 
Listen, I think that the U.S. was already involved, right, as a player here, in that they were a target. U.S. ships, uh, as well as ships from countries all over the world in the Red Sea, U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria, uh, all by Iran-backed proxies, and the Houthis are one of them. So it's clear that basically U.S. patients run out ran out here. And what U.S. officials were telling me last night was that it was Tuesday's attacks that were the straw that broke the camel's back. It was, it was some 20 drones fired specifically at U.S. ships mm-hmm. in the Red Sea, including a ship carrying jet fuel. And the concern was, had one of those drones struck and not been shot down, that it might have sunk that ship. And, and that was the bridge too far, so the U.S. is responding. What's clear, though, is they do not believe that these attacks have, one, taken away all of the Houthis' capabilities here, or their ambitions, frankly. And and they do expect a Houthi response. And officials have made it clear to me that this may not, in the words of one senior administration official, may not be the last word from the U.S. either. In other words, they're reserving the the right, the the capability to strike back if they see further strikes like this. Which um, sort of even makes the concern that many people have about this escalating into a greater regional threat even more likely. Uh, I want our viewers to hear what the Pentagon spokesman said about that yesterday. It's important to differentiate between what's happening between Israel and Hamas and what's happening in the Red Sea. You have the Houthi rebels that are conducting indiscriminate attacks against international shipping. Over 50 countries have been affected by this. This is malign behavior by a group that's disrupting international commercial shipping and putting the lives of mariners at risk. And so the international community answered that last night. That was earlier today. Obviously, there's absolutely zero interest by the U.S., by the U.K. to say, you know what, yeah, this is, gonna, this is all connected to what's happening in Israel, and this is going to uh, be you know, World War III. The, their interest is just the opposite, which is what we heard there. What's the reality? No, I mean, the reality is it looks very differently uh, in the Middle East. Uh, and this actually kind of goes back to something that we saw General Soleimani uh, from Iran put together. Uh, which was trying to link all of these things, trying to have a broader network that could fall in on any conflict. So it's not a surprise to see that it would play this way. It's not a surprise to see that Iran would continue to supply these weapons to the Houthis, and we're likely to see more of it. General Soleimani, who was, yeah. was killed uh, no by, by the U.S. And, and it is the way we should look at these groups, right? Because yeah. the, the Houthis in Yemen, they, they, they're not the government of that country, but they've taken over a good portion of the country. Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas in Gaza, they have their own interests, but they are also f- means of power projection for Iran. Uh, they, they, uh, and the U.S. made very clear that in terms of these Houthi attacks on shipping there, that it's not just Iran giving them mild encouragement, it's Iran giving them operational support for these attacks, including intelligence, uh, information, as well as many of the weapon systems that they're using. Real quick, final word. No, that's exactly right. I mean, in, in fact, uh, the, the, U, the U.S. assumes that there are Iranian uh, forces on the ground, small numbers, that are, that are sort of helping coach and mentor here. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Coming up, some leading progressive Democrats are not happy with President Biden for ordering these strikes in Yemen. It's a political challenge he definitely does not need right now. We'll talk about that after a break. 
President Biden is not only dealing with the very real military and national security risks of striking Iran-backed targets in Yemen, but also the political risks. CNN's Stephen Collinson put it this way. He wrote, quote, while Biden's would-be opponents have the luxury of lacking official responsibilities, a president must consider the geostrategic and humanitarian implications of their actions. Sometimes that means acting in the national interest in a way that may harm their political interests. Very uh, cogently put there by Stephen. Our great panel, our great panel of reporters, are back here with us. Um, let me just give an example of what he's alluding to. A few examples of what progressives are saying about these strikes. Uh, Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Progressive Caucus, an unacceptable violation of the Constitution. Rashida Tlaib violating Article One of the Constitution. Ro Khanna needs to come to Congress before launching a strike. Barbara Lee, violence only begets more violence. Those are some of the most powerful progressive voices in the House of Representatives. I mean, this is kind of what comes with being an incumbent president during an election year. You have the responsibility of not only going out and hitting the trail and the politics of the job, but also of governing. Uh, there has been concern throughout the White House, as well as the administration, of a wider war in the region. That is something they've talked about for a while. But I do feel like this has been a theme throughout the Biden presidency of really a focus on foreign policy and sort of a juggling act of balancing the domestic concerns, really the polling numbers, frustration among voters, with also frequent trips overseas and a focus, including many speeches, of conflicts overseas. I will also be watching, if you look at the original foreign policy plan laid out by the administration, there was a focus on avoiding long-term conflicts and more so having precision on, uh, on, on a competition with things like China, with nations like China. So when moving forward now, where you have sort of multiple incidents, multiple conflicts like this. It will be interesting to see just yeah. how the administration balances this. You cover the White House for us uh, every day, MJ. What are you hearing from Biden officials? I mean, obviously, they have political antenna. They understand what you were talking about, the way that we framed the beginning of this discussion. But there's not much they can do. Yeah, and, and I think the criticism, which would have been anticipated by the White House, uh, is why they are going to go to great lengths to sort of lay out for the public why we are in the place that we are and why the strikes that we saw overnight uh, was the action that the U.S. ultimately decided they had to take. I mean, we had a senior administration official uh, telling reporters last night, look, uh, the strikes, the attacks from the Houthis uh, were such that had we not intervened and had we not set up this coalition in the Red Sea, the U.S. and its allies, uh, we would have seen ships being sunk. Uh, there was even an incident uh, over the last month where a ship uh, carrying jet fuel may have been hit. So I think they're just trying to sort of paint a vivid, as vi vivid a picture as possible of what could have been, uh, not to mention just the economic ramifications, right? Sure. I mean, we're talking about a moment in time where, you know, prices are finally coming back down. Uh, the global supply chain issues have uh, more or less been resolved. Relatively this is a major corridor. Yeah, it is. And uh, they don't want that sort of spillover effect hitting the U.S. for right now, the White House is saying not quite yet. And at, let's talk about the Trump, if at all. Uh, the uh, former president, candidate for president again, uh, put the following on his social media platform. So let me get this straight. We're dropping bombs all over the Middle East again, where I defeated ISIS. Let's put a pin in that and come back to that in a second. And our Def Secretary of Defense, who just went missing for five days, is running the war from his laptop in a hospital room. Um, the second part of that is 
an area where the president has a legitimate problem, uh, which is the whole where did Lloyd Austin go and the fact that he was ill and everybody wishes him well, but this uh, disconnect in terms of communication. The first part about it is just such a reminder that um, it used to be that if a Democratic president did something that was sort of hawkish or even in the national security interest, he would have the back of Republicans because that's where they were. Not with Donald Trump in the race or in the leadership of the Republican Party. Right. And, and you hear, I think, sort of joining together the criticism from the left and the criticism from Trump, this notion of oh, doing so much military stuff all over the world. Right? It's not a particularly articulate criticism coming from uh, Trump that way. We're not dropping bombs all over the Middle East. But you know, the American people have seen the Ukraine war now for almost two years. They have seen uh, the Israel-Hamas war at a very high level of intensity for several months. The administration is asking for a lot of money for both of those conflicts, a lot of weapons for both of those conflicts, and now you've got this. And the country, you see this in polling in a way that would not have been the case you know, 10 or 15 years ago. The country is more skeptical mm -hmm. of this kind of activity than they would have been. Um, uh, uh, Zolan's point earlier about the administration wanting to avoid protracted entanglements, yep. it sounds good. It's not necessarily what the average voter is perceiving is happening right now. And, and it is the test of this policy, these strikes that uh, we just saw. Does this avoid a protracted entanglement or are we going to see this happening every two weeks for the rest of the year? We just take, quickly take that pin out of the ISIS remark. Um, everybody wishes that they defeated ISIS, but we just saw we were talking about General Soleimani in Iran and the fact that he was assassinated when there, we saw that bombing earlier this month. Uh, in Iran, ISIS claimed credit for it. So ISIS is alive and well. Let's turn to your new reporting, MJ. Uh, you can find it on CNN.com. We'll just give you a little, uh, a little bit of it here. Uh, you say about the Biden campaign and kind of how they're seeing the Republican race, they're kind of ready for it to be over so that they can actually make clear, according to your reporting, that to their Democratic voters that this is a real thing. Biden campaign officials say they expect that a switch will turn on for many of these voters who are not yet convinced that Trump will be on the ballot in the fall. As one senior official put it, a realization will hit, oh, blank, it is an election between that guy and that guy. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, as with most people, the Biden campaign does expect that Donald Trump is likely to be the Republican nominee that President uh, Biden runs against uh, in November. But what their uh, internal campaign research is still showing is that these undecided voters that they are going after that will uh, determine everything in November, the majority of them still do not believe that it is likely to be Donald Trump. And they say, you know, the biggest reason is just simply that they're not tuned in yet. Mm -hmm. They're not tuned in in the way that we are. They're certainly not following the ins and outs uh, of the Republican campaign. And that moment, that oh shoot moment is coming. They just don't know exactly when that's going to be. Is that going to be after Iowa? Is that going to be after more Republican candidates drop out? And so until then, that is why we are seeing such a ramping up of the Biden campaign going after Trump explicitly on all the issues that we have seen them talk about, whether January 6th, the democracy issues, the, the economic issues. They're doing the framing of uh, this is what you would get if it were Trump and not Biden, sort of preemptively, and just really trying to remind voters, yeah, this is what the Trump White House looked like for the first four years. This yep. is what the Trump White House could look like if there were an additional four years. Such great reporting. Everybody check it out on CNN. Com, the Biden campaign trying to persuade those persuadable voters that this is 
likely to happen. Um, thank you all. Appreciate it. Up next, we're going to go back to Iowa, where polls show more than 50 percent of Republicans are backing Donald Trump. So do his rivals still have a chance to change their minds? We're going to hear from some voters themselves. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. It's the final countdown. In three days, Iowa Republicans will be gathering inside 1,657 separate caucus sites. We're talking about schools, libraries, community centers, and they're going to cast the very first votes of the 2024 cycle. Donald Trump has, of course, dominated the polls there, and many of his 2016 and 2020 supporters are eager to vote for him again. In a new focus group for the Focus Group podcast, two-time Trump voters in Iowa said their minds are made up. Is there anything that could change your mind at this point? No. No. Oh, yeah. He's the best man for the job. He's already proved it. Or anything extreme, like he died convicted of murder or something like that. Joining me now is Republican strategist and host of that focus group, the focus group podcast, Sarah Longwell. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, pretty strong support. Uh, Obviously, in 2020, there wasn't like really a contest because he was president, but they supported him in uh, in the general election in 2020. Um, What does this tell you and how does this compare to what you've been hearing in your other focus groups? Well, it tells me he's going to win Iowa. Uh, And I think that no matter how bad the weather is, the level of commitment from Trump supporters, just how deep their relationship is with him, leads me to believe that they will be the ones to brave the cold weather uh, and make sure that they turn out for Donald Trump. Um, You know, back at the end of 2022 and beginning of 2023, there was this opening for another candidate. There was a lot of kind of move on from Trump voters. And those people tended to be DeSantis curious voters. But as DeSantis just kind of, he lost his luster with these voters as Trump attacked him, as they saw more of him just in person, unfortunately. I watched Iowa voters just all move back to a place where Trump was really the only guy they thought could get it done. Let's hear a little bit more from this focus group, specifically on what they think of both DeSantis and Haley. He was America's governor, and and Ron DeSantis was an excellent governor. And if he would have just uh, bided his time, you know, 2028 would have been his time to get in. I don't not like her. You know, that's kind of like my best way to say it is that I don't not like her. I have heard her speak. I don't I don't hate it. I don't feel like is she maybe as strong, though, to lead our country? Uh, No. If she was interviewing for a position at my company, would I hire her? Yes. I mean, that's a pretty incredible and very telling uh, moment. Well, from both of those voters that we just played, but particularly from uh, the woman there about Nikki Haley, a lot of double negatives. I don't not like her. Um, Again, the big question would be, what if our debate the other night was like, you know, really represented reality and Donald Trump was not in this race, then it would be completely different. But he is and it's not. 
That's right. And I, it is funny, that woman who said, well, I don't hate her, I don't not like her, that is what we hear about Nikki Haley all the time. Nobody sort of talks about how they affirmatively really like her. It's that they, they don't find her repellent, and uh, that's not a huge endorsement. And with Ron DeSantis, though, um, one of the things that's been interesting about voters is how they've decided that he went from somebody that they thought was a really great governor and they were really interested to see that they're just like, you know, he's not ready for prime time yet. Like their estimation of him has really dropped. I hear that all the time about DeSantis. He should have waited. It's not his time. And so I think, you know, when you have that debate uh, that you guys had, I was thinking about how all these two candidates are doing are driving up each other's negatives mm. with these voters, right? They're just making voters sort of like them less. And the only person that that helps is Donald Trump. And that's basically the whole story of this primary. They didn't attack Trump. They're attacking each other. Trump gets stronger so and they get lower. Uh, one of Nikki Haley's most vocal supporters now the sitting governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, was on with Caitlin Collins the other night. And here's what he said about what he would do in a general election if Donald Trump were the nominee. I'm going to support the Republican nominee. Absolutely. Yeah, like that shouldn't shock anybody. That shouldn't be surprised to anybody that the Republican governor and most uh, actually of America is going to end up going against Biden because they need to see a change in this country. Now, he said that to me in interviews and, and others as well. Like, why are you surprised that a Republican elected official says, I'll support the Republican nominee, even if it's Donald Trump? And he's been very critical of Donald Trump. He has. Um, but this, I'm not sure there's anything that upsets me more than this kind of talk. And it is because what it does is it normalizes Trump. I mean, the reason that one asks the question is because you're, what you're asking is, will you support somebody who's under 91 indictments? Will you support someone who refused to engage in the peaceful transfer of power, who had people attack the Capitol? Because when you put it like that, it seems like, well, maybe, no, maybe you wouldn't support him. That seems like a totally natural thing to do. And what he's doing that is so pernicious is building a permission structure for other moderate sort of normie GOP voters who don't really love Trump, but don't consider themselves Democrats to go ahead and vote for Trump again, despite the fact that it would be radically extraordinary for America to decide that a person who didn't engage in the peaceful transfer of power is our affirmative choice to lead the country again. That is crazy. And for people like Sununu to make it sound like it is the fait accompli normal choice, that to me mm. sounds crazy. So good to have you on. Appreciate it. Um, I'm sure he's going to be have something to say. And you know what? Maybe we'll have you guys on together. That would be great. <laughs> I'm sure he would love that. Uh, really appreciate you bringing your, uh, your focus group and your information here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. We've been talking a lot about it, but what is a caucus? Iowa kicks off Republicans' presidential contest on Monday. We're going to break it down and explain how it's going to work next. It's almost go time. The GOP primary field whittled to just a few remaining serious candidates. But how does that process actually work? I want to bring back CNN's Jeff Zeleny in Des Moines, who started covering these as a cub reporter for the Des Moines Register. I can't believe this. Back in 2000, not just a cub reporter. What were you in, like, second grade, Jeff? <laughs> the last caucuses we covered, of course, Together, we were uh, there in 2020, very, very different for several reasons. First and foremost, because they were a mess, but also they were Democratic caucuses, which are intended to work differently than what we're going to see on Monday. 
Without a question, they are very different. But the caucuses on Monday are going to go something like this, Dana. And uh, a caucus is simply a neighborhood meeting, a precinct meeting that are held uh, around the state at the same time, Monday night at 7 p.m. There are 1,657 different locations. Some are in churches, some are in libraries, public schools, uh, community centers, even one living room in the southwest corner of Iowa where the longtime mayor of the town has been holding uh, caucuses in her living room. But uh, essentially it's just a meeting for people of like minds to come and express their preference for who they're going to support in the presidential campaign. But keep in mind, on the Republican side, it is a secret ballot. They will hear speeches from supporters from each of the candidates, and then they will just simply register their straw poll, a ballot, and then it will be counted. All the results are tabulated and sent back here to Des Moines, the state capital. So it is that simple. The reason, has, the, reason the Iowa caucuses are different than the New Hampshire primary is because of the history. The, uh, the first in the nation primary in New Hampshire is part of the state law. So Iowa, about 50 years or so ago, decided to have uh, caucuses that, you know, certainly launched Jimmy Carter to the White House, and then it was history after that. So all of the candidates have come here to make their cases, and the voters are going to go out in these individual meetings. So it's different than a primary campaign where you can vote all day long. You have to show up at the same time and cast your vote. That's why organization is so important in these caucuses that are coming on Monday night, snow or no snow. We know it'll be cold, though, Dana. Very, very cold. I don't. I can't tell if you're making me want to get on that plane or not want to get on that plane. <laughs> but I'm getting on that Come plane. Come on out. Come on out. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll see you soon, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Inside Politics. I will see you from Iowa on Monday. CNN News Central starts after the break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.